Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day, mates. It's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. This happened about 20 years ago when I was a junior in high school in southern Louisiana. At this time, a few friends and I would go out canoeing on the weekends. One of our friends lived right next to a local river and we would park a car at a landing several miles downstream from his property and then drive back to his house and canoe back down to the landing. It would usually take us a few hours because we would take our time, take breaks to swim or stop and eat on the riverbank beaches along the way. On this day in particular, there were four of us, all males, 16 to 17 years old. But before we got onto the river this day, our friend whose property was on the river remarked about a weird place that he and another friend had seen on the river on a prior trip. He described it as a cold compound that was set back from the river a few yards in the woods. He said that he would be able to remember the little ramshackle dock that was built on the river in front of it if we saw it. In our teenager minds, we thought that it would be the perfect adventure for the day to try and find and explore this cold compound if we could. Only in the mind of a 16-year-old boy would it seem like a good idea to go and walk around uninvited at a creepy structure in the woods, right? Anyway, we set off and we were in our usual high spirits. It was a beautiful day and we were having a pretty good time. After a while, our friend sees a dirt road that led away from the riverbank into the woods. He said that he thinks this road would lead to the weird place. So we bank the canoes and start down this dirt road. Not too long on the road though, and we began to get attacked by a swarm of horseflies. To this day, it was the most horseflies that I'd ever encountered. We decided to cancel our little trip down the road, and we ran back as quickly as we could to the canoes. Surprisingly, the horseflies didn't follow us back to the canoes and we continued down the river on our merry way. Now, I wonder what would have happened if we had continued walking down that road, but also regretted not taking it as a hint to stop our search for the cold compound. In any case, uh, a little after that, though, our friend sees the handmade dock that he mentioned earlier. 
so we decided to dock there and continued our adventure. We climbed up the bank of the river and walked into the wood line. After a few steps though, I could see it. In a clearing was a two-story shack built from an assortment of lumber, tarps and billboards. It was about that time that I noticed a moat dug around it that I realized, oh, a, a crazy person lives here, we should probably leave. But before the words could leave my mouth, we saw him walking towards us. He looked a lot like Charles Manson, with his unkempt brown hair and woolly beard. He was wearing khaki shorts and an Abita beer t-shirt, and had something shiny and metallic in his hand that I thought was a knife. He said to us, turn around. I thought that it was a wonderful idea, so we turned around to walk back to the canoes. He then said, not that way. And then he fires a shot into some bushes next to him. Obviously, what he had in his hand was not a knife, but a pistol. He then led us to a clearing and sat us down in the dirt. I looked above us and noticed that we were sitting under a log that was being suspended by ropes and pulleys. I don't know if he could have pulled some switch and dropped the log on us or what, but it was weird. So he starts to rant and rave to us about all the people that he apparently shot before who had tried to steal from him. He said that he's also had his dogs attack people before and proceeded to tell dogs that we couldn't see or hear to shut up and stop barking. I think to myself, well, I'm about to die now. It was weird too because I wasn't panicked and I remember thinking that I was kind of lucky because most people don't get to know when and where they're about to die, but I did. I know it's weird and I have no idea why I was thinking that or how exactly it comforted me, but that was just what was going through my head. Then I remember getting a little sad that my parents may never find my body or find out what happened to me. As I was thinking this, he kept ranting and I remember thinking that I would stay calm and compliant, but if he started shooting, tried to tie us up or tried to make us go into a shack, I would try and fight him for the gun. I would have rather gone down fighting than be tied up and face some kind of other horror. But he tells us that he needs our information so that he can call the police. To be honest, I was really relieved at that notion and wanted to say, yeah, call the police right now. He goes into his truck, which was an old beat-up Toyota Tacoma type truck, and starts to look for paper and a pen. He couldn't find any paper, so handed us a small piece of lumber and told us to write our names and addresses on it. Three of us wrote fake names and addresses because we didn't want this guy to know where we lived, but a fourth actually wrote down his real name and address. His rants continued and he tells us that he fought in Vietnam and often the Vietnamese would sneak up and attack in groups of three and four, just like we were doing. I decided to try and make small talk with him and say, so you were in the military, huh? He starts to tell us that his shack was actually built by the Navy and transported down the river to his location. He said that he was in the Navy and trained Marines and martial arts or something. He regaled us with other stories of kind of switch from angry, menacing rants to a sort of happy, friendly ranting. He says that he could tell that we weren't there to rob him because we don't have any buckets. 
He tells us that his parents always welcome guests here and he was now happy to do the same. He proceeded to tell us to stand up and walked us back to our canoes. He tells us that we're always welcome to come back and if we need a name to call this place, we should call it Skull Island because his parents and the bones of several dogs were buried here. Our same friend who wrote his real name and address down says, Oh, I'm never coming back here. We elbowed him and whispered for him to shut up and we just waved goodbye to our host and we got the heck out of Dodge. When we got back into the canoes, we paddled in silence the whole way back. I was worried that at any point he was following us in the woods with a rifle, ready to switch back to menacing mode and decide to take us out. But thankfully, we made it back to the landing and we were able to drive off in peace. After the four of us had an epic group hug. So, the lesson is this. If you don't already know it, never trespass on people's lands in the woods, especially if you already know the place is supposed to be creepy. Looking back as I got older, I genuinely feel bad for the man. He most likely had some mental health issues and was living in a place where he just wanted to be left alone. He shouldn't have had to have dealt with a bunch of teenage boys near his place and may have had people try to steal from him before. I'm doubtful if he ever shot anyone before but I'm definitely thankful though that it didn't get any worse for us. Although, I must say that the thought of those horseflies, it still bothers me. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Apartments.com believes that a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time that you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. This is a true story and I've been kind of obsessing over what the heck happened out there. I'll try to keep it as brief as possible without leaving out any key details. The wilderness, it's my peace and my home. But these woods, 
there's something wrong with them and I never should have come to Washington. So, my wife's uncle Jay bought some land just north of Spokane, Washington with a friend of the family, Kay. They got it at a significant discount because a nearby aluminum smelter had polluted the ground and it was impossible to use the water beneath the ground. They had set up two plots and each had a camper to live in. Jay had been progressively getting paranoid and seeing people were stalking him and watching him in the trees. About three months into living there, a man wandering through the woods there had an interaction with Jay and ended up attacking him and breaking his jaw. Upon being arrested, the man said that he was overcome with the desire to see if he could kill him with a single punch. Two months later, Jay was murdered in his sleep on the couch in his camper. Kay found him and immediately ran as far away until he stopped to call the police. There was sufficient evidence of who did it and they quickly called the killer who was a 19-year-old boy who said that he simply wanted his bike. Apparently, he beat him with a power tool that was laying on the floor nearby. Kay was completely terrified at all times to be there alone. He had moved in with a family member until, eight months later, he ended up with nowhere else to go and had to return. In constant fear, he finally convinced my pregnant wife and I to come and stay with him. The second that I turned off the highway onto the property, I was overcome with dread. There were at least 250 crows covering the dirt road up to the property. I didn't sleep whatsoever the first night. I stared into the forest searching for the cause of my intense fear. The energy of this place was so uncomfortable and I assumed it was simply just knowing Uncle Jay was killed here, but even the days were eerie. Never did I have a moment where I didn't feel watched here. My wife and I always had the sense of fear, especially after dark. Things sort of normalized though for a while until one day Kay began puking and feeling very lightheaded all the time. I took him to the hospital and they said that he was fine, probably a flu. At this point, it was the anniversary of Jay's murder. Three days after the date of Jay's death, Kay comes running out of his camper screaming, I can't breathe. Waking my wife and I up, we ran out to see what was wrong. Kay had gotten into his car and floored it, crashing into a nearby tree. I run up and peer through the window to see the most intense and most primal fear that I've ever seen in someone's eyes. He was gasping and clutching his chest. Moments later, he breathed out one last time and then he was dead. We tried CPR for 30 minutes until the EMS arrived. On July 10th though, one year and three days after moving there with Jay, and they were both dead. Now it's only me and the wife alone on the property, every moment living in fear and not understanding what happened here. I still don't know why we didn't leave right away to be honest. But one day, I came out to get fresh water from a drum that we kept for water to smell the worst smell that I had ever smelt. The water container had a one-inch opening on top, and inside the water were bits and pieces of chipmunks, like spines and heads. They didn't fall in, mind you. Something had definitely ripped them apart before putting them inside. The nights were also getting worse and worse. 
I never saw anything other than shadows messing with my eyes. I was nearly always filled with unease and intense fear though. Fear in the woods, even at night, is new for me as well. We all get a little bit spooked in the thick of the wilderness and pure darkness, but compared to my home, this wasn't even a wilderness. The snapping of branches and pine needles crunching underfoot haunted my every night. The screeching owls loved to chime in right at the height of anxiety. My nights were spent peering into the pines, watching, always waiting for whatever evil to present itself. I knew that it was out there and whatever it was, it wanted me to know it too. One night, my wife and I returned home to having the worst feeling that I had ever felt. Every second driving up that long dirt road increased my anxiety tenfold as well. Something bad was ahead and it was clear to both of us. The thick fog shrouded the pines. If it wasn't for the glimmer of the full moon, it would have been pitch black that night. Everything looked different too, although it was right where we left it, nothing seemed out of place. Looking around, I suddenly see this orange long-haired manged cat sitting on a stump. This cat's eyes were so intense too, fiery, almost glowing but not quite. That cat, in my mind, was the embodiment of pure evil at that time. I saw darkness in it. We start hearing branches snapping, pine needles crunching all of a sudden, seemingly from every direction. The brush was sweeping back and forth, clearly indicating something was running within it. Here I am still staring at this cat, almost frozen in fear. Suddenly, a voice breaks out, echoing through the forest. Hello? Is anyone out there? A little girl, I thought, but something was off about the voice. My gaze finally breaks with the cat, and my eyes dart towards the road. My wife yells back, Hello, are you okay? Anybody? The voice had changed. Help me, help me, it said. It was the same person or thing yelling, but it was sort of as if it was trying to disguise its voice almost. We yell back several times without response. Then, the most intense, shrieking, evil-sounding voice of a woman is cut deep into my body. I am filled with more intense fear than I am able to describe. But my wife... She is overcome with the need to find this person and she started to head off into the forest without a word. I grabbed her by the arm though and tell her that something just isn't right. Why won't she respond to us? She tries to break free from me to go off alone. I tell her to get back into the truck and I'll grab the spotlights. We aren't going on foot. We roll the windows down and shine my intensely bright LED lights throughout the forest. We slowly creep down the road yelling back. As we get further down the road, the voice strikes out, Please, why won't you help me? Sounds are pretty difficult to pin down in the woods, but this one, wherever it was, was very close. I hit the brakes and stop immediately. We shine the lights and yell back searching, but there's no sign of anyone. When suddenly, the voice explodes into the cabin of the vehicle, as if they were standing right outside of my window, leaving my ears hurting and ringing. And at that, I just hit the gas and I didn't look back. We called the police when I hit the highway and afterwards they said that there was no one around. I picked up our stuff the next day and my wife gave birth the following day. 
we never stayed there again after the baby was born. And to this day, we still have no idea what the heck these things could be. I never even believed in paranormal things before this, but these days, I really don't know what else could have happened there. Also, just to be clear, we had all been blood tested while living there as well as no toxic metals on either autopsy reports. And as simple as it seems, nobody had any poisoning whatsoever. I grew up about 15 miles outside of downtown Portland in a semi-rural area. We lived on a windy country road in the hills where the homes were spread quite a distance apart. Our closest neighbor was maybe a 10 minute walk away I would guess. But our house was set back off the road and had a gravel driveway that had a sharp turn so you couldn't see the house from the road and vice versa. Now, one morning spring day when I was 10, I was riding the bus home from school. As the bus squeaked to a stop at my driveway, I looked out the window to my left and saw a man in a grey pickup idling aside the road, parked perpendicular to my driveway, almost blocking it. Being so young, I thought nothing of it, but when I got to the front of the bus, the driver held her arm out, blocking me from going any further. Do you recognize that truck or that man? I told her no. At that point, she opened her sliding window and motioned for him to move along. He looked at her, then looked back ahead and didn't move. He wasn't looking at a map or anything, just sitting there. The bus driver then got on the intercom and told him that he needs to move along, but he continued to just stay there. Then she said, So you best move along. I'm not going anywhere until you're out of here. He finally left and after a few minutes, the bus driver let me out and she said that she would wait several minutes for me to get up the driveway to go home. I told my mum what happened as soon as I got home and the next morning she came with me to catch the bus and to thank the bus driver. I believe that she gave her some sort of a gift but I'm not sure exactly. After that incident, my mum and stepdad hollowed out a section of the trees at the end of the driveway as a hiding spot. In that spot, my siblings and I could watch the road while waiting for the bus in the mornings while nobody could see us. This incident though gives me chills when I think about it. If my bus driver hadn't have been so vigilant in looking out for me and if that man in the pickup had been up to no good, I would have absolutely been a goner. Right after my driveway, there is a sharp turn and a steep downhill and the bus would have been out of sight within seconds which means that there would have been absolutely no witnesses. Before we start, I would like to note that I grew up in a very religious household and was even in a Christian cult up until grade 7. After grade 7, my family entirely broke away from the church and never looked back. I'm not religious and... I've never experienced anything that I would categorize as spiritual or paranormal. So, my issue is that over the past few weeks, I have consistently had a problem where I can smell rotting flesh, which I know can sometimes be linked with demonic presences, right? 
The locations and durations of the scent seem really random. It's almost like a breeze comes by with the smell and I can just never locate where it's actually coming from. So let me go over when it started. So four weeks ago, I went to stay at an old farm that was an Airbnb. The lodging was horrible. You could see the upstairs unit, rented by somebody else, through the ceiling in the basement where I was staying. They tried to cover the holes with hay, but it was a weird feeling. The basement made me feel very uneasy as well, and while they're alone, I get an overwhelming scent of rotting flesh. It was so bad that I looked for a dead animal in the cupboards and complained to my boyfriend about it. Nobody else seemed to be able to smell it though, which was weird. I told my boyfriend I could not stay there and so we left and we never spent the night. Three weeks ago though, I was at my boyfriend's family home and his niece, who was also at the farmhouse with us, wanted to sit on my lap. While sitting in my lap, I got the overwhelming smell again. I sniffed her thinking that maybe it was her but she was clean and her clothes were clean and again I just couldn't locate the scent. It was almost like it blew past us while she was on my lap. Again nobody else smelt it though. The last two incidences both happened in my house while I was alone and again it seemed almost like somebody walked by me with the scent and it dissipates just as fast as it occurs. I checked all the usual spots to make sure that nothing was actually rotting in the house. I found nothing, asked my boyfriend if he smelled anything in the kitchen both evenings and he said no. But finally, last night I was in bed and my boyfriend came into the room holding an antique candlestick holder. I'll explain that in a moment but he was trying to whistle a tune. We had just received the candle and he thought that it was sort of cool to walk around the house by candlestick. But once inside the room, I asked him if he had ever heard of the myth about whistling at night being a bad thing to do. He said no. Jokingly, I whistled an eerie low tune. And within mere seconds, we both heard a low deep growl or exhale. Both of us stared at each other and started asking each other what that could have been but ended up deciding to just not pay any attention to it, as there was really no explanation that either of us could come up with. Both creeped out, we put our earplugs in, and we just went to sleep. Now, the reason why I'm here is to ask, is this something that I should be concerned about? Has anything like this happened to anyone else, and does it just go away eventually? Additional things to note as well as that my boyfriend's father won a brand new build house. The house was a show home. Three weeks ago he went to the house before he sold it and took some of the leftover show home furniture, including several antique items. That's where the candlestick came from. All antiques are now on display within my home. I'm not sure if they're legit or not, but anyway, that's where they came from. I don't feel unsafe or scared in my home alone. There's no like negative energy or anything like that that I'm aware of anyway. My boyfriend's stepmother unfortunately committed suicide several years ago and in her note or will wrote that my boyfriend was not to receive any money from her death, but the other two sons would split the inheritance. She was an unkind and really immature woman holding grudges from when he was a teenager. 
Since his father just won a house, he gave some money to my boyfriend as an early inheritance, which turned into my boyfriend buying me a ring. This was five weeks ago. Technically, this money was not hers, but I thought that I should note it. Again, I can't pinpoint any other possibilities or links to something paranormal that are going on in my life. I'm not sure if any of these are linked or if I'm just even experiencing paranormal activity to begin with. Whatever it is though, it seems to follow me, so maybe it is me. What do you guys think? I'm an older woman and back when I was young, things were different. What I mean is that you could hitchhike with creepy guys in vans, what we called them hippies. But it was also a time when serial killers roamed pretty much free. I grew up on a farm in South Carolina, no paved roads and not a lot of communication from the outside world. My best friend and I decided to walk to the only store or post office gas station for some candy. This was highly unusual because we never had any money pretty much. As we were walking though, this car came driving by really, really slowly. We didn't think anything about it because the roads are not the best here anyway. We were also not the most worldly kids and nobody ever really told us about stranger danger. We knew everyone and talked to everyone who said hello. Well, this car passed and then we see it turn around. Well, we didn't think much about it again, but when it came up to us and stopped, I might not have known what the danger from a stranger was, but I did have this horrible, nauseous feeling when I looked in the car. Like when you see an animal predator and you don't know what you should do. All I know is that I had this feeling that we should run. My friend must have not gotten that feeling because she went right up to the car. The man was greasy and dirty, but we were used to seeing people like that out working here. He asked us if we wanted a ride. She said sure, and I said no, we need to walk. She looked so mad at me, like I had just ruined her day, but in the end she said that she was going to walk with me. I could see his hand move like he was going to open the door, and... I just had this feeling of dread wash over me. Everything started to go in slow motion, so I grabbed my friend's arm and pulled her back. Just then, another car was coming up from the opposite way, and he suddenly drove off. She was so mad at me for hurting her arm, and I did leave a couple of bruises, but hey, I was worried about her. Anyway, a, a few years later, she came over to me, and she looked like she was about to pass out. She had a newspaper in her hand and couldn't say anything, so I looked at it and it was the same man who had tried to get us in his car that day. His name was Pee Wee Gaskins. He was truly a vile and disgusting human being. I was literally taught to obey every adult that I came across, but if I had, we wouldn't be here today, of that I'm sure. Arm yourself. Doesn't matter if it's a firearm, a taser, pepper spray, or a knife. Many people are not nice. Mental illness is out of control. Criminals outnumber us now. So always be aware and always follow your gut. This happened about 20 years ago. 
I was nine years old at the time, but my parents have also told me their side of the story on a bunch of different occasions, so that helps me to recollect it all. But my parents are both biologists. They met at work, and from there, it's history. The place where they worked at the time was a government building dedicated to biology research used in government projects turned towards the public, meaning that they were the ones studying the environment and making environmental protection laws around their studies. This being a massive old government building, it always had a security guard present day and night. During the day, these security guards would mostly just stay at reception and greet people, but at night they would go do their rounds and make sure that there were no intruders because of all the science equipment and computers kept in the building. And it was one of these guards that this story is about. Initially, he seemed like the nicest person. He was really nice to me, and frankly, all the memories I have from him before this were generally really good. He would greet me and talk to me in the nicest way every time that my parents brought me to work. He would make me paper planes, which he was surprisingly good at, and throw them around with me, and he would stay with me at the reception in the days that my parents had to work into the night. Obviously, for me, that would get really boring really, really fast, so he'd keep me company and entertain me. Mostly, we would talk, play with the paper planes, and just watch TV. It all seemed nice enough, nice enough for my parents to trust him with me too which was probably their biggest mistake. One night, my parents had to work even later than usual. I think it was around 10pm and they were still at it. So this guy, who was on the night shift, decided to take me around the building with him to do his rounds. We started on the top floor, checking all the rooms and the exterior part on the roof. Every room was so dark that I'd always stay a little bit behind and wait for him to turn on the lights. Then we stepped down to the second floor, where my parents' office and labs were. We checked the opposite side of the building, going into the labs with massive extractors, microscopes, and every kind of science equipment that you might think of. We walked down the stairs to the first floor, where most of the administration rooms were. I still remember seeing some maps on the walls and embalmed fish everywhere serving as decorations. First floor was all clear, so it was time to check the two basement levels. I thought that it would have made sense to check the labs on the right side first, as the left side had a flight of stairs at the end, leading up to where my parents were. But for some reason, he decided that we should go check that side first. Well, we checked all the labs, but I noticed that his pace was accelerating, and he was starting to look and sound happier, excited even. Once again, we checked all the labs, all the corners from one end to the other, turning on the lights ahead of us and turning them off behind us as we left. When we got to the last area, he turned all the lights on and we went inside. There were three separate offices on each side of the lab and on the first one he hurried towards the printer, opened it up, took out two pieces of paper and made two quick paper planes. And that was when everything changed. He picked up one of the planes, went outside of the office, and threw it towards the end of the room. Then he told me that the one he just threw was mine and that we could throw them around in here. I ran to the other side of the room to pick my plane up, excited to play with it, when suddenly the lights went off. When I turned around to check what was happening, I saw him getting out of the lab, turning the lights off and locking the door. 
I ran to the door, punched it and kicked it while screaming for him to open it, panic taking over me because of how scared I was of being in the dark at that time. Through the glass on the door, I could see him scurrying away in the corridors, turning the lights off as he went and disappearing after turning a corner. I'm pretty sure that everything that I felt and every shadow and creepy monster I saw in there while waiting was a part of my imagination because of how scared I was. I balled up against a corner and I could see shadows moving around in the dark. I could only cry, lost without knowing what was happening and why he was doing this. My parents finished work eventually and when they did, they packed up their things and made their way to the lobby to pick me up and go home. When they got there, the security guard was at the reception but I was nowhere to be found. They panicked, of course, must have shouted a hundred times different cuss words at the guy, and I'm not sure how my dad didn't murder him right there and then. But when they first asked the guy where the heck I was and what he had done with me, he simply said that he had gone to do the rounds with me and I must have gotten lost somewhere. This is a building that would take you about an hour and a half to check from top to bottom, even if you're rushing. So, must have gotten lost somewhere is not exactly helpful. They looked for hours without finding me. It was only when I saw a light far at the end of the corridors leading to the lab that I was in that I got the courage to stand up, rush towards the door, and start punching it as hard as I could. They finally found me there and made the guard unlock the door to get me out. I don't really remember sleeping that night and if I did it must have been out of exhaustion but I know that I made my mum stay in the bedroom with me the entire night. I was just completely shook. Of course my parents made a complaint against the guard and when they did and the guy started being investigated he was fired and arrested. Not because of locking me away where he probably hoped that no one could find me but because he had been partnering up with other criminals to steal computers and equipment from the building to sell in some shady market, along with the information in the hard drives and make money out of it. By then, he had stolen a lot of old computers without anyone realizing, and who knows what his plans were for me that night. I'm not convinced that locking a crying child in the middle of darkness, hidden away in some room, is exactly the most normal behavior if you're not trying to hide them and get them later when everyone has left and sell them as a part of your product. Luckily, he never had the chance to do that because my parents never gave up. And I really, really hope that he never got to do that again with any other kid. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience 
and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.